Welcome to another episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me are Michael Majors, Andrew Brown. We're three, I guess, professional Magic players is is what you could call us, seeing as how this is all that Michael and I do. And Andrew has a lot of time to play a lot of Magic now, so that's kind of a good thing. Good lord, man. What? (laughs) Brutal. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. (laughs) No, man, it's good. It's good. Magic is fun. You know it's fun. It is fun. All right, fine. All right, so how much Magic did you play last weekend, Andrew? I actually played quite a bit on MTGO, and I watched the uh, Legacy GP stream in Prague. It was pretty exciting stuff. I'd say I logged about 10, 12 hours of Magic. Okay, that's not bad. I was, I was expecting you to say like 40 or something, but... There were only 48 hours in a weekend. Well, I mean, there's like Friday afternoon, right? Like, that kind of counts. All right, I guess so. Probably about 15 hours of Magic then. Okay, that's pretty good. All right, so Legacy GP. Majors and I went to Grand Prix Columbus. We both played different decks. I probably should have played the deck that Michael played, despite me having a, a better record than him. I feel like his deck was much better than mine. Andrew, did you... So you watch coverage, but you don't under, like you don't play Legacy. You don't really understand it, or at least like that's what you tell us. Like, how was that? I mean, I like watching it. I don't quite understand everything that's going on, just because here on the West Side, there's no real incentive to play Legacy because the Star City Circuit doesn't really come around here. So we just kind of don't play the format, and because of that, I've never really gotten any exposure to it. So I don't know what's going on most of the time. What about Nightwear? Isn't that a store like in LA that does a bunch of Legacy stuff? Yeah, but I mean, my goal is always to just try and stay on the pro tour and like the time investment over of like playing legacy is just not really worth it. So yeah, that's, that's fair. That's completely fair. I mean, sometimes there are legacy Grand Prix that we have to go to and I don't know, Mike, Michael and I are pretty old magic wise. We, we know kind of what's going on. <laughs> I guess we, we played like zero games leading up to this GP, but since we are familiar with legacy and we're familiar with like kind of the archetypes that we ended up playing it was pretty easy to just eyeball and make a list and have it not be super wrong so i ended up playing a grixis pile of cards which i think is a deck that andrew would kind of like once he got used to the idea of playing like very small creatures instead of like big powerful win conditions you know like young pyromancer cataxian probe cabal therapy i I don't think those are cards that you would normally want to play but they're pretty nice yeah they they seem powerful i was just saying i think you'd love a baleful strix man you would you would find a lot of satisfaction in resolving that card i mean i've resolved it in cube multiple times it's definitely a powerful card yeah have you ever lost when you resolve a baleful strix because it's kind of impossible i i don't recall those matches but i mean it's entirely possible that i didn't lose okay so my deck was basically a grixis delver deck except i cut dazes for lands and delvers for expensive card drawing so I think I'm getting more and more into Andrew's wheelhouse, and uh, I lost to a burn deck, 2-1-1. One, one. I got flame rifted out for the draw in one of the games. The majority of the weekend I played pretty bad, and that match was no exception. I don't know. The games went on pretty long. There were a lot of decisions to be made. I thought I made some of them fairly poorly, and eventually got punished. Finished 8-1 after day one, won a couple rounds, lost to Miracles, just kind of got like pummeled by Miracles. And that's definitely the deck where whenever I'm building a deck, I'm just like, okay, I have to like make sure that I'm actually very, very good against them. So I was like splashing Abrupt Decay. I made sure to play like more Pyroblast than I thought would be necessary in the actual tournament. Like I didn't expect 
a ton of blue decks, and the blue decks that I did expect were ones that Pyroblast was not particularly good against, like the Grixis Mirror matches. Uh, but at the same time, Miracles is a big deal. They have Jace and Counterbalance, which are very scary cards, and Pyroblast is the best answer to that. So I had a, a second copy of that. Kind of got pummeled by Miracles, and then uh, found myself playing for top eight against Lands. And Lands was not a deck that I had played against in the tournament up until that point, but I was pretty confident in my plan against them, at least post-sideboard. I thought my game one was really bad, but then I won game one and lost the other two games. So, kind of a disappointing run for me once I'm in that position for the win and in. Yeah, I feel like I should have played Majors deck, so go ahead. Tell me tell me about your beautiful deck, Michael. I guess I'll, I'll preface this by saying that I thought my archetype was quite good, but like some of the finer details were certainly off. So I played a mono white Eldrazi deck, which I, I believe Jerry sent me like a very, very rough list a couple days before the tournament. And Perfect list, yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> he said something along the lines of he came from Vintage, which I didn't know whether it was really a truth or a lie, but uh, many of my opponents during the tournament were like, oh, that's like that Vintage deck. So I was like, okay, well, I guess that's that happened. But basically, it's like the Colorless Eldrazi deck, but instead of playing like weirdo, like kind of utility cards, like maybe a couple GTAs, maybe a couple Warping Wheels, maybe some Thorn of Amethyst, I was just playing Displacer and Thalia in my main deck. Thalia was definitely one of my best cards. She's uh, very effective at not only, you know, disrupting your opponent, but a 2-1 first striker is very good at playing offense and defense, and she combines nicely with uh, Caracas, which many Eldrazi decks are actually just playing incidentally anyways. And then having uh, more access to colored spells gave me a lot of options in my sideboard. But I think a big issue of my deck is that I was kind of like... Jerry and I talked about this before the tournament. We were kind of concerned that like maybe I was slanting my deck towards not doing many like actual Eldrazi things. Like maybe my Reality Smashers and my Thought Not series wouldn't actually be very good. Kind of changed the mana base a bit last minute to incorporate more like, you know, double colorless lands, Ancient Tombs, City of Traders, Temple, that class of cards. And I actually ended up playing four Eldrazi Mimic and two Endless Ones. And I think those cards in my deck were the worst by a wide margin. There's many games where I was actually just like turning into like a weirdo, like hybrid Death and Taxes Eldrazi deck instead of like being an Eldrazi deck um, because I was very incentivized to like board in like Containment Priest and maybe Aether Sworn Cannonist for Rest in Peace or like various other powerful white hate cards. And I think if I had like cut kind of the low-end, low-impact Eldrazi stuff and like focused on being more of like a lock disruptive deck... And then just having like K-Makers, like Thought Not Seer, Reality Smasher, and like Displacer and Matter Reshaper as like bridges, then my deck would have been a lot better. But you you did think that your deck was just better than deck, Death and Taxes, right? Yeah, I, uh, I I hesitate to say blanket statements in public places. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I also don't really like being hyperbolic, you know, but it's like, if you look at it, you know, in, in the pros and cons, I'm not saying like it is strictly better, but just like there are more pros than cons. Yes, I, I think that... Like, card for card, my deck was more powerful than Death and Taxes, but my game plan was very similar. And how did you do against Miracles overall? Because when I first started playing Eldrazi, that felt like a pretty good matchup, but now people are like, oh, I'm going to play, like, you know, more Back to Basics or Blood Moons or Ruinations or whatever, maybe some Ensnaring Bridges, like, they'll cut stuff like, you know, Staticaster for Path to Exile or whatever. It's, it's, it just seems like more people are kind of adapting to Eldrazi and, like, playing some additional cards for it. And I know that your deck, I, I think, might actually just be weaker than normal Eldrazi against them because you don't have the explosive smashers. So 
I don't know. Just kind of curious how that went. I only went. Uh, I only played against it once, and I lost. And it was it was basically directly to Monster Mentor, which was a okay. card that I didn't have a lot of answers to. Just a couple of dismembers, basically. And so my opponent, he knew what was up. He played like a pretty early Mentor, stopped the one or two like big disruptive things I did, and just kind of kept the game at parity for a while, like chump blocking my thought knots, and eventually like flipped a terminus and game over. So did not feel great, I suppose. Did not feel great, but I think it's fixable. Like, Cavernous Souls is awesome, and you can always just, like, spike a Chalice on one or, like, get, like, two disruptive creatures early on, and I, I think the games are perfectly winnable. It, it really felt like if my opponent hadn't played an early Monastery Mentor, then I could, like, pace my threats a lot better and not have to play into Terminus, and then, you know, maybe the games are completely different. I told you about this, but there was, in, in the first game, I kind of had, like, this really weird situation where... I was, like, flooding and had an Ayavugan, but I was like, you know, this is okay. Like, eventually, once I start activating Ayavugan every turn, like, you know, even if he terminates away my stuff, like, eventually I'm going to grind him out. But I, like, flooded to the point where I had, like, six mana sources plus Ayavugan and never drew another land, so it was just the worst of both worlds. And you actually drew another Ayavugan, right? Yeah, exactly, which is just yeah. a, a dead prospect. How many eyes are in your deck? Two. Mmm. <laughs> that, the perfect number. <laughs> Did you finish uh, 11 and 4? I did. I, I actually was uh, X2 with two rounds to go and lost the last two, which is, you know, not great. Didn't have a lot of expectations for this tournament. Kind of just, you know, theorized this deck, and, and the deck ended up being pretty great, and I don't think I played particularly well. Uh, certainly lost a match to just, like, raw inexperience against an archetype that was, you know, a, a legacy deck. It was just kind of kind of wonky, and I never played against it before, and I, I played kind of bad. So yeah, I guess our tournaments went pretty similarly. Like you, we were eleven and two, I guess, at the same time. Yeah, you know, that's that's not bad for just eyeballing the format. I think, and, you know, for us not playing any games and we played different archetypes and stuff. And uh, we did both lose to the same guy playing miracles that ended up making top four too. I don't know. Overall, I don't think it went that bad. And certainly, if we were like well practiced for legacy, I think it would have gone a lot better. But at the same time, it is difficult to just be like okay i i really need to prepare for this legacy grand prix especially with the spot that we're in we're like my worst finish is a three for grand prix and what's yours a two like it, okay. if i had a, an extra tournament i get a point but that's i don't want to say it's not worth anything because it is but it's kind of functionally worthless yeah it's it's marginal i mean like you are in the world's race you know that is a big deal and i have seen just one point make all the difference you know so it could certainly matter but it's hard to justify figuring out what what's going on in legacy when this is kind of it like this is the the last legacy tournament for a while you know whereas as long as you're focusing on like learning fundamentals for like limited or standard or whatever even modern you know that's gonna reward you way more down the line like i was looking at the tournaments i've played in over the last year or so and i've actually played more modern than anything else really that's actually really surprising to me yeah i, I was kind of shocked by it too I, I definitely agree with the notion that even if you, like, you know, bomb a tournament and do really poorly, like, it, it's not a sunk cost. You know, you, you played some standard games, some modern games, and you can take that experience to the next tournament in a week or two, and it's just kind of not really the case here. Yeah, I mean, now I'm like, okay, I guess if I build this deck again, I should not play a Daze or whatever. It's just like, who cares? It doesn't really matter all that much, you know? And I, I don't even know when the next Legacy tournament is. Probably. I mean, you know, there, there's options to play classics and stuff, you know, so they're there, but, you know, it's it's not something that we, too, are actively looking to do. Right. This GP, again, was not that meaningful because we basically have our slots filled up and stuff. It was just kind of, like, going to go because it's there. It's, it's only, like, a six-hour drive. Columbus is nice. There's the Brucadia. 
I, I think is Major's new favorite spot. I, I literally, I, I think, honest, in, in, in my heart of hearts, I went to this tournament to play NBA Jam, which is just <laughs> So, two things. I, I want you to tell people about your little rivalry with Cheon. Also, I, I want to point out really quickly that we played one game. It was you and Tom Ross, who had been playing all weekend, against me and BBD, who haven't played NBA Jam in, you know, two decades, right? Man, you guys are ruthless. Like, anytime I got the ball, I was just immediately <laughs> on my back. It was gross. I, I was actually pretty happy that you guys only beat us by, like, double our score. Well, first of all, let me say that there are lots of comeback mechanics in NBA Jam, so it's pretty hard to, like, <laughs> utterly dismantle someone like that. But, I mean, what, what can I say? Me and Tom Ross, you know, we all weekend we've been <laughs> two nights in a row really taking our NBA Jam game to the next level. Now, hold on. Are you really going to say that, like, the only reason you didn't beat us, like, more badly than you did is because of the comeback mechanics? Yeah. that That's kind of messed up, man. But whatever. I mean, you, you get... <laughs> Could sugarcoat it for me, you know. I would appreciate that. But tell me about the Cheon thing, because I was I was enjoying the hell out of this. The, the night before the Grand Prix Friday night, it was the uh, game four of the cat the, the NBA Finals. Is that game four? Game four. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was game four. And you know, people are, are looking for places to watch the game. Obviously, they're coming in for the Grand Prix. Our our little group likes Barley's a lot, which is a good restaurant that is directly across from the Columbus Convention Center. So it's a pretty standard place. We go there a lot whenever we're in town. We had become familiar with the Brucadia the last time we were in Columbus, which was for the Invitational, I believe. So a natural place for us to hang out, even though like our hotel that we ended up staying in was like a mile away. So whatever, lots of people end up gathering there. We you know we eat dinner, we get into town, eat dinner, and then go up to watch the game and have a few drinks and play some arcade games or whatever. And so Chion's there. We did a lot of you know shit talking, and we got to play NBA Jam when we're there. So it's like a big group of us, like Steve Rubin, uh, Stu, Tom Ross. Paul Chion, a couple other folks came, and then a lot of people came out Saturday night as well. And so me and Tom beat the crap out of Paul Chion once or twice, maybe three times. Details are a little hazy about the number of NBA Jam games that were played, whatever. So, you know, you, you get pretty into it. I think even Jerry, who's, you know, relatively, like, reserved and, you know, hadn't been drinking when he played a couple games before we left on Sunday, you know, he was smiling, he was getting into it, he was having a good time. So that's it's a very infectious thing when lots of people are around watching you and you, you've had a had a few. So it's a lot of fun. Cedric was was getting pretty uh, intense Saturday night to say the least, I guess. But come Saturday, Grand Prix happens and Paul Chan and I get paired in round six, I think. And so I, I'm playing Eldrazi against his Storm deck and it's a good matchup for me, whatever. And I get pretty lucky lucky in game one. Uh, even that being said, he like casts a ad nauseum and like flips like two dark petitions and a tendrils in the top like six cards and just dies. So now whatever. hold on, hold on. Yeah. Is that is that you getting lucky or is that him putting a bunch of five mana things in his deck? Uh, I am not enough of an expert with Storm to comment on that. Okay. I I think like the standard is what like a past in flames, a petition, and a tendrils. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty normal. Like, sometimes the petition is not in there. Sometimes there's, like, an empty the warrens or something. I've seen some that have, like, two pass in flames or whatever. But it, it felt like he was one heavier on one of those cards. And Yeah, he, he might have been, like, one more expensive card, like, than average. But when you're talking about your deck being, like, 46 cards at that point or maybe even more and flipping four of those cards like that's that's pretty impressive yeah i agree it's it just reminds me of the like zach hall mike flores like show me your combo thing it's just like he does his thing assembles ad nauseum casts it and just dies anyway i i assume like he's honestly probably like somewhere between like 65 and 70 percent to win that game from that spot you know if you just run it back many times maybe even higher honestly i, I don't really know the math on, on storm from that position but 
Point is, beat him in NBA Jam, beat him in the tournament the next day, and then that night, beat him up some more. The trifecta, <laughs> you got the, the full trifecta on him. Yep, and then Sunday, Sunday night, you know, he was trying to, to offer some more games. Unfortunately, you know, we had to drive back to Roanoke, but if he had showed up in that, like, hour window that we were in the Barcadia, he would have gotten beat again by me and the boss. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Who is Chion's partner? Uh, he was with a few people, uh, Cedric, Stu, you know, whatever. You, you and Tom Ross... Are, are just like, I don't know, the, the, the tag team NBA champions of the, or NBA jam champions of the universe, and, you know, Chion is just getting stuck with, like, whatever random guy happens to be around. Like, eh, it doesn't seem fair, but... Well, granted, Tom and I didn't start playing until, like, this weekend. There's synergy there, yeah. though. When, when there is, goes- absolutely. You guys, you guys played a team Grand Prix together, you know? <laughs> sure. It's just, it's just like cheating. Yeah, I'd, I'd say we are kindred spirits overall. So, so that's it. You know, looking forward to going back to Columbus. Uh, I don't think I'm going to, you know, practice NBA Jam. Kind of similarly to Legacy, it feels like there are a lot of diminishing returns there. I'll just, you know, take my one beating per weekend and then I'll just be off it. That's fine. If we do have a Legacy tournament at some point, I feel like we should honestly look into just playing Miracles. I, I've kind of felt this way for a while where, like, granted, I, I don't really like how most of the Miracles decks are built. Like, I don't like the, the two Entreat the Angels and, and nonsense like that. I do like the move to Mentor's main deck. I like the Ponders. I like just being, like, a sleeker deck where you use Counterbalance to protect a threat instead of using Counterbalance to try and lock people out of the game because that just doesn't work, you know? Like, Legacy has too many spread casting costs. There are things like abrupt decay and especially like after sideboard people are ready for you you know like they have crossing grips and stuff like you can't rely on counterbalance to just counter everyone's spells right so uh, I, I like mentor a lot better I think entreat is just like really clunky and just kind of bad overall but I do think the deck is very very good I have a lot of experience playing counterbalance and if you looked at the top tables of GP Columbus it, like the the first 10 tables it was like you know here's an infect deck here's a shard list bog deck here's like maybe some Grixis Delver deck or whatever, lands, and there were like little one-ofs of the, the most popular decks in Legacy, and then every other table also had a Miracles at it. Like Miracles was the only deck to penetrate the the like more than one copy of a deck at the top tables, and it's just pretty absurd. Yeah, the prevailing theme for sure was that Miracles was the, the best performing deck. Uh, I, I agree with you. It's just, I think people have like, it's funny because like Joe Lissette is like kind of the, the miracles guy or whatever, but his, his list, in my opinion, is not something that I, I would shuffle up. He plays like, you know, a bunch of Medellin clicks, a bunch of Vencers, which probably give him a lot of percentage points in the mirror, to be honest. I, be- I like the like the Euro approach, like this very sleek, like, you know, four ponder, four top, four brainstorm, 21 lands, tons of four ofs, um, Monastery Mentor, couple Snapcaster Mages. I don't like just playing like Entreat the Angels. I agree with you. It, it feels like strictly a win condition, which is not a not a thing that I think should be in your legacy deck. Yeah, I definitely agree with that too. So uh, I'm looking to to play some miracles in the future. You know, I haven't counterbalanced in a while. I don't really know why. I've just been enamored with like Deathrite Shaman and stuff like that. But I'm curious to see what's going to happen with my legacy win percentage when I start playing miracles and. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, you know? But I do feel like that deck is just very, very good, and I'm probably very stupid for not playing it. Is there any thought to how Miracles didn't win either of the tournaments, or is that just, like, how Legacy works sometimes? Sort of telling, I guess, where there's four Miracles decks in top eight and none of them win, but at the same time, like, Infect is sort of supposed to crush them. 
So I, I kind of understand, like, uh, Clay got by a pretty bad matchup, I think, in lands in the top eight. And then from there, it was just kind of like smooth sailing. Like, he was definitely the person, like, playing spoiler, I think, to all the the Miracles players. Because he was, like, you know, X and 1 for just the majority of the tournament. And what about the Storm guy in Prague? Well, from what I heard, he is just a wizard. Yeah, I, I get the impression that literally any other Storm player would have lost. I don't know. Like, you, I, like if, if you just go to the coverage page, it's like, oh, he played through, like, two Force Wills, three Fluster Storms, two Snapcasters, a Surgical Distraction. And it's just like, what the hell? Yeah, so so he, like, I, I watched a little bit of the, the last tail end of the coverage. He, like, I, I watched the last turn. It's, like, an insane turn where he, like, plays around everything he has to, gets a little bit lucky off his, like, brainstorm to hit a second LED, plays around, you know, the monstrous amount of disruption, wins the tournament, is, like, overwhelmed with emotion. Like, they immediately do, like, the winner's interview, and he's like, oh, I messed up, like, twice. I could have done this and this and this better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember hearing about how he, like, abrupt decayed the guy's top to get him to draw his Fluster Storm so that he could therapy it, and it's just like, you're very clearly familiar with both your deck and the matchup. Just playing around literally everything. Yep, and that is just always a delight to watch or even even hear about it. You know, I've been kind of catching up on work and stuff since we got back, and uh, I haven't had a lot of time to actually sit down and watch coverage, but I definitely just want to watch that match. Because, like, Storm is another one of those decks where it's just like, if you are a savant with this deck, you are generally going to do pretty well. Although I, I do think that right now is particularly hateful towards Storm, mostly just because, like, Eldrazi is a deck. But it seems like a tough time to play Storm, and I think I would just enjoy playing Miracles more. And I think that Miracles just overall does way better than Storm does. Yes, uh, some of that's probably just, you know, saturation in the metagame, but generally speaking. Absolutely, and I, I do think that the people that play Miracles are probably better with their deck on average, just because, like, Miracles is an easier deck to play than Storm. Like, Storm you can count to ten, but it is very difficult to play through, like, a bunch of disruption and hate, and I think very few people can actually do that. All right, so... No more Legacy. Probably the last time we talk about Legacy on this podcast, at least for a few months, you know, because I can't imagine when the next time uh, Legacy GP is going to happen. But this weekend, I have SCG Orlando, which I just booked a flight to, and Andrew has a WMCQ, and Majors has a decision to make, I think. I feel like Majors should go to the WMCQ, but like, you know, what's going on? What's your thought process with this? So I, I looked up some flights on our on our last episode. That was genuinely the first time I'd even thought about it. Is when we were you know, talking about it on air. I do get a pretty nice incentive for showing up. I get an appearance fee, but even with that appearance fee, it'll probably be like six hundred bucks for me. You know, just to go out there and spend a weekend, and that's basically for a PTQ, which isn't too enticing. You have two buys, correct? Yes. Okay, that's pretty busted. If I had a $500 appearance fee that was just, like, sitting on the table, I would want to collect that. Like, it is just so tempting because it's just, like, if you don't go, that means that, like, Wizards gets to save $500. Doesn't that make you feel bad? Yeah, but I think Wizards can take the $500 hit more than me. They can. It's the principle, though. <laughs> I just want to get that money. You gotta, you gotta extract maximum value out of being platinum, man. I, I certainly, you know, I, I, I looked at multiple flights in multiple airports. There's, like, a... Uh... You know, stipulation where I kind of have to fly into, like, one airport and take a train if I want to, like, have it be a cheaper flight. And I really don't feel like dealing with that, to be completely honest. Um, All right. I mean, you could try price lining, too. I could, but uh, that's why I asked in the car on the way to Columbus, and I did not like the answer that I received from you. I know. It's it's kind of dangerous sometimes, but... What's dangerous? I've also just, like, not had fun with air travel right now. 
Yeah, I know, I know. That might be a story for another time. Basically, just like trying to get from Atlanta to Roanoke is tough. But uh, as far as Priceline specifically, they have a name your own price thing, Andrew, where say Michael's flight is 800 bucks. He can go on Priceline, give them like loose parameters where he's like trying to get from like Roanoke to California and back, you know, Friday to Monday or whatever. And they'll be like, okay, well, like, how much do you want to pay? And you're like, you know, 500 bucks. And they're like, hey, we found you a flight for 500 bucks, except it's leaving at like 6 a.m. on Friday. And then it's like leaving at 1130 p.m. on Monday or something. And then it's like a red eye back you get in Tuesday morning, you know, so it's like. They basically just give you, like, the worst flights possible just so that they can sell them, and you have no control over uh, the times or airline or whatever. That's pretty rough. You are still leaving 500 bucks on the table, Michael. You earned platinum. You deserve it. And I'm also acting pretty selfish here. I would like to hang out with you in Santa Clara. <laughs> what can I say? Deserve uh, is a strong word, Andrew. Oh, you deserve yeah, it. Yeah, you, 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 you got 50 it. pro points. That's so difficult. Come on. Ah. Yeah, but, okay, so there are three WMCQs, and I do plan on playing in the rest of them. I need to, like, you know, actually, like, sort out my schedule for real, but I, I do plan on participating in these types of events because they are a really good deal for me. It's just, this is kind of last minute, it snuck up on me, it's my fault, didn't plan it out, and it would be pretty expensive. So how much do you think our friendship costs? Like, how much would you be willing to pay to hang Ooh. out with me for a weekend? Guys, guys, I think I think we need to save this for like the game at the end. Yeah. Like this is this is a pretty good question for that. I, right. I think Jerry can feel this question for next week. Okay, well, I think you should go, but I'm kind of biased in that you know I, I'm I'm not paying for like the eight hundred dollar flight or whatever. Like Andrew, can you let can you let Michael stay with you? Is that doable? Yes. Like that. Then he doesn't have to get a hotel? No, I thought that was part of his. We we actually had to get a hotel. Yeah, we were going to get a hotel. You could fly to L.A. on Friday, and then we're, like, driving from L.A. to Santa Clara. But then you're getting a hotel. Yeah, yeah, then you're getting it. Yeah, okay, never mind. All right, fine. So I mean, you, can't, you can't let him stay with you. All right. I'll look up the flight, you know, just to make sure it's not dramatically cheaper, but not committing to anything. Well, you could try price lining, too. But I, so, like, let's just talk about these WMCQs, because... You're just like, oh, it's a PTQ, which is kind of true. And you're like, oh, well, I have two more that I'm, I'm definitely going to play in. So, like, the third one might not matter, you know. And it's like, realistically, like, it's tough for me to argue because at the same time, I want to tell you that, like, no, dude, you need all three of these to, like, have a shot of actually winning one. But at the same time, I want to encourage you to go by telling you that it is possible for you to win one. You know, so I'm kind of stuck here. I don't really want to lie to you. But I do think that winning one of these is like a pretty big deal, especially like these matter for next year, right? Like for the pro points. Yeah. Say say you get into Worlds majors. Like you could just hop on this gravy train, you know, by playing in Worlds. Let's say you get like eight pro points or whatever from that. And then you play in the, the uh, World Magic Cup. And then you get like maybe four more pro points from that or something. It's just like you start the year with like 12 free pro points. You basically just like have to get a bunch of threes to in GPs to hit platinum again, which is pretty insane. Definitely the, the freebie pro points are just so valuable because they don't take up GP slots. It's not like considered a pro tour. So it's just what Steve Rubin calls them true damage pro points. So you're pretty much just leaving a lot <laughs> on the table if you're not able to acquire the true damage pro points. True damage? 
Yeah, it's a Legal Legends uh, reference. I believe it's a Legal Legends. Oh, okay. I don't get it. So, so basically, Jerry, it, it's like... I, I'm not going to explain the, how it works in Legal Legends, but but basically I think what he's trying to express is like, those are pro points that are not calculated by wizards for like their metrics of what they want to get for Platinum. So like, you're kind of just like breaking the, the curve here. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I think it's so sick, especially for someone who is potentially going to play in Worlds, you know? I, I would never argue that like what you're saying is not objectively true. It's just like, am I willing to spend five to six hundred dollars for a PDQ? Probably not. What if I stake you? Uh, I know, I know, I know you hate that. I but really do. It's. <laughs> I know you do, but at the same time, if you're like, oh, money, and I'm just like, here, have some money. Just like give me more money from what you win because I have faith in you. It's not. It's not that I like. It. I'm going to be hurting if I spend the five hundred dollars. I just don't want to spend that much of money for what the tournament is. No, I get that. I get that. But at the same time, like my moral principles are not like, oh man, I feel bad like spending eight hundred dollars for like coast to coast flight. I feel bad about like leaving that five hundred dollars on the table. Like you got to get that, man. I got nothing, man. I mean, we we can talk more about it. Do you think you can win? I mean, certainly I I can win, but am I favored to win? Probably not. If you have clear eyes <laughs> and full hearts, I'm pretty sure you can't lose. I, I don't know the last time I truly had clear eyes and full hearts, Gary. What if I paid for your hotel? Would that move the dial? I don't think he wants the pity or whatever yeah, it I, is. I, you I know? Or, it's not about that to me. I don't need the money. Like, if, if $500 just got ripped out of my bank account right now, that would suck, but I, it like, wouldn't change my life in any way. It's just, like, the fact that I would be spending my time to do that at that cost, like... And also just, like, flying, like, coast-to-coast is exhausting. And, like, again, I I keep having these troubles with, like, Roanoke flights. And there's just a lot going on. I see the cost of our friendship. And it's, uh, it is low. Yeah, like, I'm probably going to go to, I don't even know where they are. But I assume one's in, like, the Midwest and one's on the East Coast. I'm going to go to both of those for sure. No, the other one's in Alaska. What? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. kidding. I don't know. I played in in two WMCQs. They, They were tough. You know, uh, it was just like kind of like a PTQ, except for the the local people who even were on the train or whatever got to show up if they wanted to, if they cared at all. And I think I played bad decks in both tournaments and just kind of got crushed. But I don't know. I, I feel like it is winnable, especially when you have two buys. I think green white is just a hell of a deck. And again, I'm going to make the comparison to Cobblade because I feel like it is kind of similar to that where it's like the deck is customizable. It's hard to beat. You can be on like a different plan than what your opponent expects you to be on and all this stuff. Like it's really easy for them to make mistakes against you. Plus your deck is just full of rares. It is literally all rares and those cards are just very powerful. So I don't know, like from, from the Cobblade era, I look back and I'm like, man, I really should have like tried to play this in that one single tournament that I skipped once. And I feel the same way with Green White now, where it's just like, I just want to play standard in all the tournaments. I'm going to Orlando. I don't think the pro points necessarily are going to help me. I feel like I'm pretty good at limping into gold. And if I had any shot at platinum, it is probably going to come with a good pro tour finish anyway. So like an extra two points probably won't help me, but... Well, you don't get points from the WMCQ, right? No, 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 no. But I mean, if I won, if I won and played in like the World Magic Cup, for example, like I don't, I don't necessarily think the points are going to help me. But that feeds mm-hmm. next season. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think that they're going to help me next season. I said, that's just silly. You can't possibly make that assumption. Sure, I can. If if I continually do poorly in all the pro tours that I ever play in, I can basically only hit gold. And if I ever figure out how to do well in pro tours, then. If I have, like, two good Pro Tours, I will hit Platinum. And I don't think that, like, those WMCQ things will help me all that much. Like, right now, I would rather just, like, 
play the Star City stuff, cash my checks, like maybe block for Tom Ross to actually get a slot in the PC. He wants to go to the tournament, and I don't want him to go alone. You know, I want I want uh, want him to go to tournaments and actually like qualify for the PC and stuff. I'm not, I'm not arguing against you attending Orlando. It's just I think that kind of having this for lack of a better way of putting it, defeatist attitude towards, like, what you're going to accomplish next season is a little silly. I'm a realist. But also, if if something nice does happen, you know, then I'm pleasantly surprised. So it's kind of great. I think you can do it, Jerry. Thanks, man. I think all expectations are just kind of weak. If you, if you, like, undersell yourself, like, there's inherent issues with that. And if you oversell yourself, it's it's even worse. Well, I suck, and and you have is. Remember when we rated on the is scale? Yes, Jerry, I remember the. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put you pretty high up there, and it was just like I think I was know, one actually. Yeah, I'm unfamiliar. You know? Oh no, I just, I rated like the Rono people on just like various things, like as I thought of them, just like how good they are on camera and how good they are like deck selection or whatever. And then one of the categories was just like is. It was just like, you know, basically who has the most heart, like who would I, you know, want to be playing games for my life or whatever. And I was just like, yeah, Majors, Majors, you are up there. You know, you are just money. You got is, kid. And I couldn't think of a good term for it. So I was just like, is, who is? Michael Majors is. I think we've gone off the deep end a little bit here. but We have, we have. But the point is, is that I think you can win WMCQ. I think that I can't. Also, I think that it doesn't matter for me. I think it matters for you a lot. I think that you're just letting Watsy pocket their 500 bucks, and that sucks. And if the money doesn't matter to you, I don't know. I, I feel like Magic is a pretty big deal, uh, and the pro points are a pretty big deal, and you should just, like, go for the gusto, man. Like, you might hit Worlds this year, and then if you hit Worlds this year, you should want to hit Worlds again next year. And this is kind of, like, setting up for that. But whatever, you know, you do you. Just make sure that either you win one of these next WMCQs or you are content with how things are going and i know you're gonna be but i'm gonna be a little sad that's all i think if like green white tokens wasn't so good that you would be less aggressive about this true or false oh yeah absolutely (laughs) man if standard was just like a hot mess and i was just like i don't know what to do which is kind of like how it was the two times i played in wmcqs i just played like you know garbage decks that i thought might be great but i had no idea what was actually great but yeah for this one it's just like it's so easy man just play that deck. Yeah, that's fair. So, Andrew, you're definitely playing. Tell me about Blue White Knights. <laughs> I might play a version of the Jacob Wilson um, Ojutai Always Watching deck. He played it in New York. It had Avacyn, Sky Spawner, and Knight of the White Orchid. So it's pretty much kind of like a blue-white ramp deck. I don't know if you can call it that. But I'm playing a lot on Magic Online, and I've kind of pre-boarded it to just play against green white you know i'm playing negate in the main deck and it's been going really well again jerry is just constantly gonna berate me for not playing green white no i just i just hope that you lose to it twice or whatever you know that's all well part of my fear here is like i have this recurring nightmare that always happens to me where no pun intended man how do, how do you even know that's a card i'm impressed i, I like cube cube's fun Okay, 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 fair enough. So I'm playing at the PT, I'm playing the winning in for top eight, and for some reason I'm playing Jund. And I look at the pairings for the Wrath last round, and it's re- I'm playing as Reduke, like the Jund master, and I, I just can never win. I In my nightmare, I lose every single time, and he wins, and he's he's not like the nice Reduke, he's like evil Reduke, and he like laughs at me when I lose, and he doesn't even <laughs> shake my hand, and he like runs away and like 
celebrates. It's the worst nightmare ever. You're just like, hey, man, GG's. And he's like, no, BG's. <laughs> and he just walks away. He also has this, like, evil snare, evil cackle. It, there's a lot going on. It's probably something deeply evil rooted. Evil mustache. Yeah, evil mustache. Yeah, it's just this inherent fear of, like, playing these green-green mirror matches where I'm just going to get, like, slightly outplayed. And that's scary to me. Yeah, but the thing about green-white is that it's, like, secretly a blue deck. Go on. It, it, it kind of is. You, you, uh, you have to leverage your resources at all times, and it really rewards patience. It is tap-out control. You have the best card advantage the best removal it comes in like weird spots you know where your card advantage is like either incremental advantage from planeswalkers or you're like leaping away a hanger back walker or you're like setting up an avison flip or whatever but it is the same stuff man it is basically just tap out control i also love that your like recurring nightmare is about something that you've already achieved like it's not even something that's yeah, like top hitting a PT. at all well it's just that it just happens again, and you're so close, and it's just like the final end boss of end bosses, right? What what are what are your goals long term to where you're like so scared that you can't win this mirror match against Reed? You know, like at what point are you going to actually work on fixing that? Because that's going to happen at some point where you're just like, oh, like Jund is the best deck. I should probably play it, and you know maybe it's not Jund exactly, but it's something similar, right? And you're going to have to get over that fear or at least like be well-practiced to the point where you feel confident in mirror matches. And I feel like you're just underselling yourself at this point, but also I feel like this is a good way to actually work on that and make that go away. Definitely good points that I should work on now that we actually are on the train. Because as you said, I mean, I'm a magical baby. There are definitely leaks in my game that I need to fix, and thanks for pointing them out. Oh, anytime, man. Ex expanding your range is one of the best things you can do to invest in yourself as a, as a Magic player. Uh, anyway, my, my normal process for this, though, is like I play it a lot on MTGO, and then I just use my face as a shield, and then if I lose a bunch, you know, I'll, I'll probably play green-white. For now, I'll go burn some tickets and then feel bad about myself. Well, you should also just, like, not play green-white cold because I don't think that that's going to lead to a very good result and then afterwards you're gonna be like see i shouldn't have played this green white deck because it's like not very good or it's not my style or whatever like you you do need to get some reps in with the deck you know and then then i think some nice things will happen <laughs> definitely should probably figure that out anyway i'm gonna i'm gonna give you the heads up on what i'm gonna change for my green white deck this weekend i'm not locked in because i still have a few days left but right now i have my deck in front of me and i'm gonna cut Two Stasis Snare, a Declaration in Stone, and an Enlightened Ascetic from the sideboard for an Angelic Purge, a Quarantine Field, and two Silk Wraps. And then I might I might change the Abbeys to, to different lands, like Blighted Step or Foundry of the Consoles. Major is telling me to play another Plains, but I don't really like that. But, I mean, that's it. You got the, you got the insider information for uh, the best green-white deck for this weekend. Okay, well, Major, is any interest in going to Orlando on Allegiant Airlines with myself and Tom Ross? Dude, you said... Give me $330 with a sly grin and something will happen. No. No, it went down. Now it's only 258 Are you more interested? $258 with a sly grin and something will happen. No. <laughs> so you're just going to stay home? I'll probably go visit the folks. It's Father's Day. Whatever. Oh, come on. He does, he does have a good point. You are not is, Michael Majors. <laughs> and I'm like, going to Pittsburgh? I'm probably going to some WMCQ that I just made up, but it's probably like the next weekend. Yeah. And then like pre-release and PT testing is like right around the corner. I'm going to be playing Magic for like a month and a half straight. Dude, play in the, in the Players' Championship with me. And you can't play in that tournament unless you go to tournaments. 
Ah, uh, but I the brisk jog to the players' championship, man. <laughs> Just pick up the pace a little bit on that brisk jog, man. Got to make kind of like a to Roanoke, Virginia. Got to make a. a I don't know, just like a slow jog to the Players' Championship? I don't even know like where I'm positioned right now. Does does even playing in Season 2 matter? I have no idea. But it's got to start somewhere. That's all I know. But just just come battle. Battle somewhere, man. Battling's fun. Says the guy who hasn't played Magic in a month. I guess you've been playing a lot of Yeah, that, I do play a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're getting yourself back out there, Andrew. I know it's tough on the West Coast. It is, it is. One, one person's back in the trenches, one person's got to take a week off. It's just how it goes. Dude, I'm I'm always in the trenches. You're, you're a madman. I am. Honestly, like, this might be a point of contention, but I, I really want to be able to play in these, like, local PPTQ, like, events just because there aren't any more, like, events where people care and don't want to lose. So, like... On the weekends, I'm just kind of pigeonholed into playing online, which I don't prefer. I really like playing live. Yeah, yeah I think that's kind of nonsense for a gold level pro to be like nagging people's RPTQ invites. I, I just want to practice. I just want to battle against people who want to kill me. That's all I want in real life, not via computer. Yep, that's that's perfectly reasonable. I don't have the answer for you. I mean, the SCG tour is a, a pretty good answer for us on the East Coast, but for you, I don't know. It is it's just difficult. First world problems, I guess. Yep, definitely. All right, let's go on to some Uvenwald mysteries. Uh, yeah, Andrew kind of invented this last weekend, or at least you know brought it to our attention. We like to do some fun stuff at the end. This is pretty great. Uh, basically, just tweet at us with the hashtag Uvenwald mysteries at the game podcast and send us some stuff like how does a rolling earthquake kill a Vryn Windmare. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if it rolls, it, like, could go through the air, right? Okay, yeah, so the thing is, though, it's, it's a it horse. It is a horse with wings, which is a Pegasus, though. Yeah, but it, it's a fancy horse, you know? You know? Pegas- is it Pegasi? Pegasuses? It's, it's got to yeah. be Pegasi, but whatever. Well, you know, Pegasi can't go too close to the sun, so you can't get up too high, right? That's, that's how deep this goes. But it's a horse. It should have, like, honorary Well, it's not Pegasusmanship, so I, I can kind of see it. Oh, Rolling Thunder says all things without horsemanship. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this I'm is gonna... why it's like a this double whammy, because so it's like Earth, Earthquake is killing a flyer, and it's killing a, a horse. Uh, it makes no sense. It's definitely an Uvenwald mystery. No, 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 no. I got this. So you, you can't ride Bren Wingmare. It's, you know, it's too wild. Okay. Is that it? That's all I got. I gotta, I gotta look at this Vryn Wingmare. I gotta see what's going on. Yeah, here. it's like a horse. It's got some armor. It's got some wings. There's this weird circle thing going on. I think my argument has to control. be that it can't get hit because, well, it can get hit because it's not Pegasusmanship and not horsemanship. It's uh, the favored mount of military commanders, as well as anyone with a flair for the dramatic. So people ride this thing, majors. You're not making any sense. Okay. All right, maybe its armor conducts electricity. That's the best answer I got. <laughs> that, that is deep. <laughs> All right, I am off it. And on to the next one. Why can Helm of Possession gain control of Zergo Helm Smasher? <laughs> yeah, I like this one a lot. <laughs> this, this is from Todd Stevens. I remember this. this. Todd Stevens, okay. <laughs> Todd, you're awesome. That's all I got. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally empty on this one. <laughs> Definitely a mystery. I, I think I think Zergo is just the dude that gave himself the nickname Helm Smasher. Like, obviously, that's not, like, his proper name or anything. And I think he, he just had, like, a grossly inflated sense of ego. 
He's actually just really bad at smashing helms. So this is why, like, his karma and his other life in Dragon World is being a tutu because of that. Yeah, where he's just some dude instead of the the badass con or whatever. Huh. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Okay, last one. How would Anna Fenza really react to seeing her kin tree spirit self on the battlefield across from her? Kind of like Star Wars or whatever, right? Where you're like, Obi-Wan appears to you. It's probably not that bad. Yeah, but it's like you're Obi-Wan and you're you're seeing yourself like your ghost form on the other side. Like you have to fight against like your dead self and it's just like you... Oh, you mean like literally on the other side of the battlefield? Yeah, yeah. Okay, on the yeah. battlefield across from her. I assume it's like facing each other. That That's what across means to me, not like side by side. Well, I mean, okay. I, 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 of the Foremost should win because she's a 4-4 and then... Anna Kintree spirit would just be exiled. So I think Anna Anna of the Foremost would show no mercy and just destroy the Kintree spirit and exile her. Yeah, yeah. just smush her. But if you, guys, that. you guys are like fighting, would you really want to exile yourself? Because it like might unmake you as well. Yeah, there there are some time travel applications going on because like cons and dragons were different timelines. Well, we can't break the rules of magic. Anna Fenza, the Foremost says if a creature would be put in the graveyard, exile it instead. So. I know, but would you want to kill yourself in combat? Probably not. I mean, if you if you kill the kin tree spirit, maybe you stop existing too. I don't know. I don't know how it works. This is also why I, I guess, I guess that's not... like I hate time travel as a plot device. It's horrible. Yeah, I agree. I'm definitely with you on that. But I, I guess this isn't really time travel exactly. This is just like well, I mean, it is, but it's it's alternate timeline versions of them. So I don't know how that really matters. This is some flash level <laughs> crap here, and I stopped watching that show because it was just all nonsense. All right, that's it. If you have any Uvenwald mysteries, tweet at us for sure. Those were some decent ones, although I guess the last one just, like, killed us, killed all three of us. But uh, the game, who wants to go first, boys? Is it my turn? Yes, sir. So, Jerry, as has been proven to you over the last couple weeks, Andrew Brown is very malicious towards me and some of my choices that I make in life. <laughs> Only some of your choices. <laughs> Specifically... He has a strong distaste for a certain food that I enjoy. Do you think that Andrew, every week, would rather pay a $100 fine or eat Taco Bell? I mean, I, I guess the fine, right? Like, he just seems so unhappy. Like, he's so unhappy whenever you eat Taco Bell. I can't imagine what would happen if someone, like, force-fed him Taco Bell. Like, a 100 might actually just be too low also. You could probably get more out of him. I don't know. Like, Five grand a year to not eat Taco Bell. <laughs> Easily a price I'm willing to pay not to eat Taco Bell. Okay, all right. So, so what Dude, is majors? Think of how much Taco Bell you could get if you actually convinced <laughs> Andrew to pay you this five k a year. Oh yeah, Dude, that would be sick. That's just a lifetime supply, have, isn't it? Yeah, you could definitely just have that for every meal of every day. I mean, that would be disgusting. But yes. <laughs> well, he definitely would not live as long, so it, the cost would not be too long. Thankfully. All right, so what's the number? Like, if I had said 250 like, is that sufficient? 250 a week? Yeah. That's tough. Ugh, it's a lot of money. Think of the consequences, Andrew. I, eating Taco Bell, like, will just shorten your life. Once a week? No, it won't. Well, you say once a week or what? Yeah, once a week. You can work, you can right. work that off, yeah. maybe. All right, once a week, probably. But I wouldn't be happy sure. about I mean, it. It's like an 800 calorie meal probably like maybe eight to nine hundred that's that's not the point the calories aren't the point man it's just like the combination of the macronutrients is just like a disaster for your body man i'm i just want to i'm gonna hold my tongue (laughs) (laughs) so i don't eat taco bell but that's because i eat like a four-year-old i'm just like the pickiest eater ever 
I'm kind of like accidentally helping myself, but at the same time, I also just eat mono garbage. So not really. All right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm off this topic. What's your, what's your next one? All right. I don't really have a good intro for this one. I haven't thought about it too much, but Jerry is known to, he enjoys his comfortable surroundings. You know, he likes the things that he likes, such as eating like a four-year-old. I assume from time to time enjoys his privacy. And I also know that he's kind of, in a weird way, a homebody. So, Andrew, mm-hmm. do you think Jerry would rather star in a reality show for a month or take two intercontinental flights in a month? I don't think this one's particularly close. I gotta say the flights, just because, you know, he'll he'll have a lot of time to himself. He won't have to talk or interact with too many people he doesn't know. The reality show just hits him at so many different angles that the flight only hurting his home life rather than his privacy life and home life is uh gonna be the winner for me so realistically i think i would probably tilt off on the reality show maybe like a week and a half two weeks into it but i still think that my ego is large enough that i would rather just star in the show than take some flights wow i just had the wrong read i don't know like what what happens if you just go bananas on a reality show like they probably just love it right yeah just lose my mind they actively want you to do that yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. I think I think it would just be beneficial for for all parties. Huh. All right. No, I don't I don't know if you're wrong. You know, that that is just my gut reaction. I feel like, you know, me being on TV, like I could that, that might be something that I would want to do at least for a little bit. Okay. All right. But yeah, I, I do think it would drive me absolutely nuts as with the flights, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. Andrew? Okay. Jerry. <laughs> we all know Michael is a bit of a ladies' man. So if Michael <laughs> was to get married, would he have a large ceremony or a small ceremony? And why? Man, uh, so I think that Michael is a little bit of a traditionalist. I don't think that he would necessarily do the big wedding thing of his own volition, but I think it is definitely likely that whatever female that that he settles down with would also just be kind of a traditionalist. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of factors at play here. Like, you know, maybe maybe she's rich and the, the family's willing to pay for it and then it's just like a done deal, right? Like it's just going to happen and they're going to go nuts. And I could see Michael picking out like, you know, some wedding cakes and stuff. Like I could definitely see that happening. And a uh, bonus, if they were to have a small reception, would there be an open bar? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Come on. Okay, fine. Question? All right. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and assume that there's going to be an open bar no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Even though, I guess, as the uh, as the groom, there's basically no way I would ever partake in that. But, you know, you gotta got to make sure your friends are having a good time. You're just a nice guy. Dude, I've, I've been in some weddings, man. Like, the, the groom's... The grooms drink a decent amount. Like, it is it is just kind of accepted, I think. I think it's accepted, but... Like, you don't ruin your wedding, but you definitely have to, like, get through some stuff. You know, it is yeah. kind of stressful. I mean, you're, you're kind of obligated to... I mean, the reception is really for your friends and family, not for you. You're kind of, you know, obligated to, you know, talk to a bunch of people and kind of mingle and make the rounds and make a spectacle. Yeah, so grease the wheels a little bit. No big deal. I mean, I, I see it both ways, but I'm pretty sure that I would I would have a small reception. I don't actually just like like large gatherings at all, and I don't really just want like a bunch of bodies at my wedding. I kind of want it to be for like my best friends and my family. 
I get that, man. But yeah, like you got to think about her side, right? Like oh, well, her. I, that should certainly apply to to her as well. You know, you can invite. Everyone. Yeah, but I I feel like her line for like close friends is probably gonna extend much longer than yours. And I feel like once you actually sat down and made a list of like your close friends, like people that you would want at your wedding, I feel like that list is gonna be pretty long, and you're gonna feel bad about you know drawing the line at some point and excluding some people. And plus, you know, there's your family and whatever. Like. I feel like it's going to end up being pretty big. That might be true. So I guess what is the the line on a large wedding? Because like the number in my head is like 100 to 120 people. Yeah, that seems pretty reasonable to me. All right, we've gotten a little deep on this one, so I'll just go on to the next one. I, I better be invited to your wedding. That's it. Yeah, I got you. Ooh. What about what about me, man? <laughs> well, I don't know. If you keep you know talking crap about my eating habits, then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> major's wedding as catered by Taco Bell. <laughs> Yes, Andrew, would you like the bean burrito or the shredded chicken for your entree? <laughs> Doritos, Locos, Tacos. All right, so this one's a little more open-ended. Uh, Majors, I don't know much about the personal life of Jerry Thompson, but when he wakes up in the morning, <laughs> what do you think his first thought of the day is? I don't think this is particularly close. It's, I need a cigarette. Aww, yeah, that is, that is dead on. That is just dead on. <sighs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously, like, addiction is a powerful thing, right? But I don't know exactly what drives that. Like, generally, when I have cravings for cigarettes, it is because of, like, I am just, like, in a spot where I don't want to be. Like, I'm in some weird social gathering or whatever, and it's a good reason for me to escape. Or it's, like, I'm stressed out. Or I've eaten slash completed a task, you know? Like, I've, I've just, like, done a bunch of errands or driven a long distance or something and it's like all right this and just getting up in the morning i don't know if it's just like oh man to start this day like i'm i'm already like stressed out like i need this or whatever and yes andrew i i would definitely like to quit smoking at some point i know that uh it's probably more offensive than eating taco bell but i'm sure well, it's close i mean you you've told me why and i mean i respect that and i I've only I've only told you once and will only tell you once, but just know that your health is in my mind, man. I appreciate it, and and so is the the health of my listeners. Uh, I recommend not smoking. Nice. To me, it seems like you know just the same as waking up and eating to go to the restroom. It's kind of just this thing that's you do whatever. I do have to pee like first thing in the morning, but like it's just like a thing that's automatic. The the first thought is definitely just like yeah, I need a cigarette. What did, what did you think was going to be the answer to that question, Andrew? Probably something along the lines of like, man, how great am I? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is a recurring theme with you, Andrew. What? I don't know. You're, you're, uh, you're a little egocentric. I, I can see that. Dude, man, we're all great. And especially... <laughs> <laughs> it, it's important to remind your friends and your family and yourself that you're great. Because, I mean, you're just great. I know that it comes from a place of love with you, and I don't judge you for it, but I do find it funny. All right, man. I'm glad that I'm funny to you. <laughs> okay, that's that's going to do it, I think, for this episode. <laughs> we always end up going on a little long, but I kind of like that. You know, a lot of fun stuff to talk about. But uh, as, as always, I feel like probably the best place to reach us is on Twitter, at The Game Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, at G3RRYT. We have Michael Majors at Michael J. Majors and Andrew Brown at Merck underscore Lurker. And that's game. Game! Yes!